0: Afternoon. This is your captain, Jeannie, from Aladdin on Broadway. I'm pleased to welcome you aboard your magic carpet with direct services to Agrabah. On your left, you'll find a dazzling love story. To your right, show-stopping, singing, and dancing. And just ahead, a whole new world ready for you to explore as we celebrate a decade of Broadway magic. Sit back, relax, and enjoy our shining, shimmering spectacle. Get tickets today at AladdinTheMusical.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back into your latest episode of Locked on Suns, Pray Locked on Podcast Network. Today's your host, Evan Sutter, and joined by co-host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at e You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You'll support our Locked on Suns, your page You're on already at Locked on PHX Suns. Your support there is very appreciated, as always. And our, our title sponsor today's show is Built Bars. We told you guys all about the last few weeks. Built Bars is the best protein bar on the market. They have great new flavors out right now, including peach, mango, and also chocolate chip cookie dough. Go and buy that right now. Use promo code LOCKEDON. Gets $10 of your first order. Again, that's LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O, and over at billbar.com We'll get you guys hooked up on some really the best protein bars in the open market there. So appreciate Bill Bar for sponsoring to today's show. But let's dive into the, today's show, Bernie, because we, we're we not trying to ruffle any feathers here, but we are on the What If series, and this is a, definitely a divisive topic among fans.
1: Well, we might not be trying to ruffle feathers, but I think obviously that's bound to happen. I mean, we saw what Earl Watson and uh, a random podcast interview could do to this fan base. So I think it's fair to say that uh, there's some hurt feelings about the way the last 10 years have gone and that's totally fine. That's the fun of looking back. I think it's more fun now that we have a little bit of optimism in the fan base that this year did go a little better. Uh, might not be as fun to, to look back if we were in the middle of another sub 20 win season, but we want to talk about the 2018 draft. We talked about the 2017 draft on Wednesday with Jason Tatum saying he he preferred the Suns uh, before Boston ultimately traded back to get him. And 2018 is not even so complicated. The Suns obviously had the number one overall pick. They draft DeAndre Ayton. It felt pretty much written in stone from day one with his local ties, and they made no mistake of, of showing their interest in him. We'll never forget, I think, you and me, the the press conference that he did after his workout, it felt like he had already been drafted. And every local media member, Ron Wolfley, only time I've ever seen him at Talking Stick Resort Arena, he came down to, to welcome DeAndre Ayton to town like three weeks before the draft. But we're going to do what if that all never happened, and we actually got to see Luka Doncic be drafted. I mean, the this draft is a little bit different because we have obviously one less year of evidence, especially with Aiton. We, we don't even have very many games, less than 100, to judge him by after so many injuries and the suspension so it's not as easy to say here's what the draft order should have been etc etc but I think it's fair to say that Luka Doncic a guy who is probably going to be on an all-NBA team this year and will get hopefully a few more opportunities to watch him as his team is already bound for the playoffs this summer if they do happen so I think it's it's not as easy to say oh here's how each player would have performed Evan but Um, I think where I start with this whole exercise is looking back on why the decision was made the way that it was and what you remember from how quickly it became obvious to all of us that Aiton was going to be the pick.
0: Yeah it really was obvious from the very beginning because from what we know personally Brandon we've we've also talked to people around the front office back then and the the Suns honestly weren't even concerned with Dantas amongst their top two, which looking back on just really looks really bad in hindsight. Of course, you had DeAndre Aiton, number one on their board, Marvin Bagley the third number two on their board until they had Aiton, three. But then you also just see overall just the impact that Luca's made, and it, I know it's, it's really tough to look back in hindsight. DeAndre, and of course, is probably gonna be a twenty ten consistent player throughout his career here. But looking back, I think it was May twenty third or something like that in twenty eighteen when DeAndre Ayton visited facility for the first time and like a, a week or two after the lottery happened his only workout and wasn't that a circus i mean as far as just they had it in the media room every mm-hmm. single local media person i was there we had ron wolfley and and doug france from doug and wolf we had all the ninety eight seven crew there we had all the local beat writers there even more tv stations as well people from tucson drove for this it's like it was a show from the very beginning and if you look at the other workouts they had mo bamba jaron jackson i think came through as Badly. well yeah. Bagley as well. It, it really wasn't coming close to all the DeAndre and the hype that had. Cause like, just remember like Brian McDonough, the way he was glowing about him right from the beginning in that press conference, he had DeAndre and talk about Shaq and Kobe 2.0 once more, definitely hyping up the fans. And it just seemed like from the very beginning that, that McDonough and his crew were entranced by DeAndre's potential. And it was pretty much a lock after that workout.
1: It was probably a lock before the workout, right? I mean, on the team side, it just became obvious to all of us, the way that they, Handled the PR of all of it. That you can't really go back from that, right? Once you have everybody in the entire media come to your building to interview a guy, the way that that interview unfurled, they were asking him about what would what it would be like when he was a son, basically. Like you said, the the Shaq and Kobe stuff, but even more specifically, like how do you fit with this group? What do you expect it's going to be like if you end up back where you spent some time as a teenager, and on and on and on. It was. It was a little bit weird, to be honest, like, regardless of which player you preferred, it just felt a little bit like jumping the gun, especially in a draft, which Ayton was on the top of plenty of people's boards. It's not like he was a, an out of nowhere pick by any means, but it wasn't like some of these years where you all, we all know who was going to be go, going number one. It wasn't Zion's draft. It wasn't Anthony Davis's draft. It was pretty seen as pretty wide open, yet the Suns parade their guy through and, the whole thing becomes a wrap pretty quickly. I, I don't know what direction you wanted to take this. Maybe we can talk about the Luca part of it in the next couple of segments, but just when it comes to Ayton and the way that they handled that workout and just the, the lead up to the draft in general, after they won the lottery, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we talked about with the front office and coaching staff's handling of the 2017 draft with Josh Jackson, not doing his Celtics workout with, you know, apparently Earl Watson lobbying for Tatum and the way that once they do draft Jackson, he's talked up as this saving grace for the franchise. I don't think any player should ever be discussed that way. Look, did we did we see David Griffin going out and talking about how Zion Williamson was going to be a, an MVP in two years and they're going to win a championship before the end of his rookie contract? No, we just saw this guy patiently and and sort of reasonably discussed that they had very high hopes but that they're going to treat him just like any other young player that's not how any draft pick was handled in Phoenix let alone Aiton who was the number one pick I actually think he handled it well obviously he's made a lot of progress he's played pretty well but it's it's just weird to me especially when you compare it to other rebuilds the way that every single guy that got drafted by this the the last Suns front office was just talked about as if there was no other way for fans to feel by the time these guys finally took the floor it was like if they don't play like all-stars on opening night of their rookie season then forget it we're done screw you it's over like it was just these these expectations that were impossible to meet and I really do think it started all the way at that first workout
0: yeah and I think we all remember the comparisons back then Hakeem Olajuwon from people David Robinson Hall of Famers were out the bat and they're like DeAndre is gonna be just like this right away. He's gonna step right into the NBA. He has the NBA size frame. There's not gonna be any adjustment for DeAndre. He is gonna be a player who can step in and just be a monster off the bat. He's gonna dunk all over people. He's gonna posterize and scream in their face. I mean, that was definitely the hype up job. I feel like also that Brandon that plays a part a little bit as far as why maybe these Suns picks don't meet expectations early on because the expectations just around the building and internally and externally were so high as far as maybe an unrealistic threshold.
1: I agree. I mean, I think it's silly to expect any player to do that. I mean, you can count on one hand, the number of rookies who were any, I mean, no one's at their P Alvin Adams, right? That's the lot we, we talked about. He, uh, he peaked in his rookie season, but that doesn't happen. These guys, there's a reason that 27-year-olds are better at their jobs than 19-year-olds, especially a job that demands you to be in peak physical shape, which DeAndre Ayton never was, which is always what, it made, what made it so bizarre to me the way that he was discussed because I think people just see a big man with skill and they're just so tantalized. Maybe it's just human instinct. Maybe it's just basketball fans understand the value that that type of player can have. I think we just see big athletic people and we just can't help but let our jaws drop and somehow with within the local discussion that turned into him being a guy whose skill set and productivity was going to be tailor-made for the NBA just because it felt like maybe his body and athleticism were and that's just not true actually you know relatively speaking to me I kind of feel like DeAndre Ayton met expectations pretty pretty well like his rookie season was about as much of a a step onto the court and produce type of thing as you can expect. And still, you know, obviously he has room to grow. So I don't understand why the conversation went that way.
0: Yeah, I don't either. And that really just goes to show you, I think, just the hype machine can get a little out of hand at some points. And like you mentioned, DeAndre in his rookie year definitely played the part as far as being a dominant NBA center goes for just year one, year zero, so to say, where he definitely was getting his feet wet against opponents. But there were some nights that we saw against the Nuggets. He scored 24 points in the quarter. There was that Orlando series that keep going back to, that overtime period, where he looks like a complete monster. And that's where I think you go back and look towards, like, those are the glimpses and flashes of the future you hope to see consistently from DeAndre Ayton. But expectations-wise, of course, he's not going to have the points per game. And those gaudy numbers that Luca and Trey Young, for example, did their rookie years, where they have the ball in their hands all the time as a center. But it it really seems to me like for – For for that position, this could maybe just be a closing argument you can have before we dive into the Lucas part of it, because Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's just a really interesting in today's day and age in 2020, 2021, as we're entering this new decade of basketball and how it's changing each and every year, just how valuable these positions are as far as team building goes. Do you go and get a second primary ball handler to go down Booker? and really just have like the sharing the load and have those guys. Like we are talking about Jace Tam on, on Wednesday, Brennan, as far as have those two guys be your primary offensive focal points and have the ball in their hands so much. Or do you want to run pick and roll with Devin Booker and DeAndre, and have these guys be an inside-out duo? It, it's just really interesting how the Suns at the time, of course, they, they Ryan Medina didn't to see his vision. or didn't get to see DeAndre and play one single regular season game before he was fired. But it, it seems to me like his idea was maybe a little outdated as far as the expectation goes for Aiden and Booker as a duo because in today's league, we've seen it countless times. DeAndre could be the one that changes the curve back over time with the pendulum, but it's more and more teams are going guard heavy and they're going around guards and Medina thought inside out would be the, maybe the new way to go about it.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's definitely something we should dive into because this draft was so unique in that way, because you look at the guys all in the top five, three, not quite traditional. I mean, I don't think Jaron Jackson or DeAndre Ayton are what you would call traditional big men, but, you know, fairly standard 6'11", foot types of guys who are going to be projects to a certain degree. And, and then two dynamic primary ball handlers in Trey Young and Luca. Uh, and, and the way that each team went, I think, says a lot about how they saw their rosters and the, the direction of the league. So we should definitely dive into where the Suns fell in that continuum, because I think uh, it says a lot about how they were building and maybe what what's changed since then as the front office has, has turned over. But before we get into all of that, I want to remind you guys really quickly, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. There's a ton of them. Follow us, subscribe, whatever it is. We are not going anywhere anytime soon. Basketball hopefully back soon, but tons of fun stuff like this as well. So just a reminder. Make sure you are locked in with us every single week. Today's show is also brought to you guys by Built Bar. Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. And they say it tastes like a candy bar and I can completely vouch for that. You normally bite into one of these things and it's, it's like a brick. It's like this huge 300 calorie monster thing that's like, you know, some of them say they're a meal replacement. Some of them say they're they're for a workout. This one, because of how incredible it tastes, but also because it's not quite so overwhelming on the, the health side, is like, it's really a perfect snack. If you're just needing a little bit of a pick-me-up, you need maybe dinner's coming late, you want something mid-afternoon, you're, you're going on a hike, you want to pack something really quick, going on a run, you want to pack something you can eat while you're, while you're moving. This is perfect. Chewy inside, really nice going down when you're eating it. And amazing flavors peanut butter, mint, toffee, caramel, coconut, uh, strawberry, raspberry. As Evan said, a couple new ones coming down really anything you're in the mood for. They have an option for you low calorie, low sugar, and then, best of all, high protein and fiber. Exactly what you're looking for in a protein bar. So, to buy. Your first package of built bars, go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on, all one word, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, use the promo code locked on, that's all one word, L O C K E D O N, for $10 off at builtbar.com. My take on the 2018 draft, Evan, is I think the teams that didn't go for the playmakers screwed up. I'm excited about Memphis. Like, I think they have a pretty intriguing young team. I would probably say for them to hit their ceiling, Ja Morant needs to be better than Jaron Jackson. And I think that they're on the right track there. Ja had an incredible rookie season. He really did hit the floor running, like like we were talking about with Aiden. that that, did, that is, I think, something that went under the radar, is just how consistent that guy was from day one. But Jaron Jackson probably not ultimate like the 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 peak version of Jaron Jackson. I don't, I still don't know if it's as valuable as the peak version of a Luka or a a more defense focused and and ball sharing version of Trey Young. I I just think like you were saying the the value of a guy like a Trey Young or Luka Doncic if they can hit their peak or something close to it. The way that the league operates right now, it's just really hard for me to see the argument that even some din- or unicorn three point shooting, shot blocking big man is going to approach the value of an elite MVP caliber playmaker. I just don't see that. And and we saw the Kings, the Grizzlies, and the Suns think more on the big man side. And it's still two years later doesn't really make a lot of sense to me why.
0: Yeah. And I totally agree with you there. I, I know loyal listeners of the show know that we are on the Luca side of things in this debate. And for the exact reads you brought up, like we feel like Luca and Booker could have been really that Hydra, that really modern-day backcourt that could have helped elevate this team. Probably would have going. – we'll talk about this more later on the show, but the wormhole would probably go down a little bit. you probably have Clint, Clint Capella as your center instead of DeAndre and you go along with Luca Doncic there. Probably would have went after him in free and if that was indeed their plan. And it just makes you think more and more, like, how valuable, Bernie? do you feel like centers are in today's NBA? I know Carl Anthony Towns is a unicorn I like can talk about there. 40% three-point shooter can bring the ball up the court a little bit, but – that's a rare error, and we don't know if DeAndre is going to reach that exactly just yet. He has to take like a lot of development on his part and also on the Suns' part to help him reach that potential. But how valuable do you feel like the big man position is in today's NBA? Because like we've hitting on before, like these Draymond Green types, they feel like more so the big guys nowadays.
1: Well, it's hard to say. You know, I mean, I think every case is unique. Like, I, like you know, like I said, it, it, I'm really comparing the ceilings. Like, I'm not trying to necessarily say that I would have taken – Trey Young over DeAndre Ayton oh, in 2018, right? No, and I know you know that. I'm just for the listeners who might be misunderstanding, cause part of drafting, right, is you also have to be or or signing a player in free agency, whatever you're doing, talent evaluation in general, is how likely is that player to get to their peak? And I think we have evidence from college and now from two years in the NBA that Trey's gonna have a hard time getting to the most optimized version of himself. And he's also a hard player to build around because yes, he's an incredible primary playmaker. He's going to make your offense better. Uh, he's going to shoot the lights out of the ball. He's going to create opportunities for teammates because of the gravity that he has when he's handling the ball. But I don't think it's necessarily true that Luca or that Trey is a guy who's more likely to reach his ceiling than a DeAndre Ayton or Jaron Jackson. So, you know, I think I had Trey over Ayton in my big board that year. I think in hindsight, uh, I think Ayton's more likely to reach his ceiling. He's already made bigger strides toward filling out his game than Trey has. But to the point generally that you were asking about big men, I feel like uh, it, it's going to depend on what type of big man and what kind of expectations you have for what they can bring to the table because DeAndre Aiton, it, it's – how likely do you think he's going to? It is that he's going to hit his his ceiling on defense. That's always been the question, and it still is. And Jaron Jackson, he he plays like a a chicken with its head off. He he fouls like crazy and all this stuff. So, uh, and then on the other hand, you have Luca, and that's the guy we should center this back to. A player like that about is about as valuable of a type of of athlete in the NBA as you can find these days. I mean, incredible shot creator for himself probably an even better shot creator for other people very very smart player has the size where even though you know defensively he's never going to be a stopper like he has the size where he can defend one through three one through four Uh, that that type of guy is clearly the most valuable type of player in the NBA from guys like Giannis, who are a lot bigger, down to James Harden, who's about the same type of, of size as Luka. So to me, that's the ultimate value, and it's just puzzling why four teams didn't see that in 2018. But when it comes to Luka in Phoenix, maybe why they didn't see it that way, what I come back to is it feels like one of the primary reasons that you would come up with if you were making the case against the Suns taking Doncic in 2018 is that he wouldn't have fit with Booker. I think that's if you if you think that, I guess I can see how you go toward eight. And if you if you have a belief that Luca and Booker can fit together, I think the decision's pretty easy. So I don't really know there. But do you think those two guys would have coexisted, and how do you think that would have looked?
0: I definitely think they could have coexisted. And I feel like Booker would have been sort, or excuse me, Doncic would have been almost like Ricky Rubio this past year, maybe even more so. As far as he brings the ball up the court, he gets out of the way for a few possessions at that time but also be more of a two-man game between him and Booker, sharing possessions, having one take a possession off, really gain some energy. Because you have, at this point, if you go down this wormhole of having Luca and Booker together, you have two elite scorers on all three levels. They can go against one-on-one and really just bully people as far as Luca on one side of the court, Booker on the other. And Luca would be the guy who's setting up players like Clint Capella rolling to the rim, or you have Booker cutting to the, to the basket you have a player like McHill Burgess, too, if they were to trade for him still in this scenario. I think he fit perfectly in the scenario as well with them. And I do feel like, honestly, this type of duo with Luka and Booker, you see the type of success Luka had in year one. He had 21 points, eight rebounds, six assists, and a steal. Year two, though, he improves his two-point percentage from 50% to 57.4, and his rounded numbers are 29 points, nine rebounds, nine assists per game, almost triple-double already in year two at age 21 for Luka. And it almost feels like for what they're going for, Rick Rubio, as far as the, I know, veteran presence there. He's a lot older than than Luca is, but I think like Luca could have played the exact same role as Rubio and really done it more with less, so to say. If that makes sense, Brendan.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I I think he would have been the the orchestrator of the offense that they clearly wanted and need needed. I guess they 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 filled that hole with Rubio ultimately after lots of options here between here and there, but I think, you know, one of the things that I can't admit to, even as somebody who's believed in Luca since before the draft, and obviously, you know, he's a player who's exceeded expectations and has been better than eight and through two years. We'll see what happens in the future is that Luca would have probably become the number one option on this team. And, And that way he's pretty, pretty drastically different than, than Rubio. Yeah. Rubio had the ball in his hands, for the most part, and Booker operated off the ball. But, you know, Rubio's usage rate was still lower than Booker's as far as finishing possessions and Rubio not much of a scorer in late-game situations, whereas I think they would have had a little bit more of a back-and-forth between Luca and Booker figuring that dynamic out. Who's scoring at the end of a game? Who's the number one sort of playmaking option? How do they share those duties? What system fits them? A lot is different now. But I do think it would have been a a signal to Booker a little bit that, hey, we're going to, maybe you're not going to be the end all be all. Uh, And, and, you know, I think it comes down to a good front office and coaching staff to be able to deliver that message in an effective way and have the guy buy in. Maybe they didn't feel equipped to do that.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like, you don't want to upset your superstar player, which obviously, Devin Booker is, and they're building around Booker from that sense. And, Maybe they felt like maybe Luca, if he ascended that point, he would Booker would feel like, hey, hey like he's number one guy now. Like I'm not as needed as much with Phoenix anymore, and I'll eventually be up to once my contract's done. I don't know if they felt that way, but it seems like they're really covering their ends there as far as like building the best team that could run Booker, the primary ball handler. It seems like eventually in this offense, going to be him in that James Harden type role in a few years, and you're, you're building a wing system with Ubre, You have Bridges, of course, you have DeAndre, and hopefully, as the anchor on both sides of the court inside and. I think what the Suns are doing now with James Jones, like it makes a lot of sense with her trying to draw on Dun Booker, but you go back to Ryan McDonough who made the pick and the one who really sold immediately on the Suns as far as DeAndre and being that piece. You wonder just how how much people just overthought Luka Doncic because from what I personally know, it seems like the Suns, the former management, they did not believe Lucas Atlas was going to transit to the NBA. Which looking back on that, that's pretty laughable, but it seems like to me, when you look back on even Jonathan Gavone brought this up multiple times before in the past year or so. How many teams just overthought Luka Doncic? And I feel like maybe that's an example as far as we talked about Josh Jackson before, the Tatum example, as far as helping us change our pre-draft process for looking at prospects. But if a clear-cut number one guy, Luka Doncic, is available and there's really no real weaknesses in his game here is picking nits, so to say, take that guy and like don't overthink it.
1: For sure. And, uh, you know, I don't really understand the idea of, of not believing in his athleticism because, I mean, he's not athletic relative to, you know, a Russell Westbrook. He, 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 the way he's succeeded in the NBA so far has nothing to do with athleticism. So I don't really understand that argument because I think it misunderstands what his style of play even is the idea that you look at a guy who's succeeding in an, in a professional league already without athleticism and then basically kind of create the idea that he has to become more athletic in order to succeed at another level. That doesn't really add up to me. I, I don't, I think that was a little bit lazy to be honest, on the part of people who saw the fact that he was from Europe and had a little bit more of a methodic style to his his game and just sort of didn't want to do the homework of figuring out how to maximize that and instead sort of just cast him off as another slow plotting euro who wasn't gonna translate and and that just that's that wasn't true ever and it's it's obviously not proven to be. True today. And, you know, I guess to wrap up this segment, my only point would be the same we talked about with Tatum, which is the Suns still, right now, as of this offseason, whenever we get to start talking about how they might add talent, their number one need is a playmaker who can shoot and create his own shot still two years after this draft, three years after the draft where they could have drafted Tatum, they still need that no matter how well Rubio played, no matter how well the wings fit around Evan Booker. That is still the number one need of this team. And they have had multiple chances now that we've talked about just this week to add that player and still have not done so.
0: Yeah, that's the huge issue right now with the Suns. And looking back on this, if they would have had Donch that, that, Obviously, obviously would have washed away and you would have built the team differently. We're going to dive more into that. And in next time, like Brendan mentioned, how this team would look at Luka Doncic, Booker. how further along would they be if they had Doncic, place DeAndre and maybe other pieces on this roster a little bit different, but before we do so, I want to remind you guys in our array on where our stream platform leads to where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitch, or Google play. We're on every single platform out there. Search locked on Phoenix suns. We're right there with you guys throughout this. We're with you three days per week. And hopefully five days per week here soon. If the NBA does resume, we have some Suns basketball talk about again sometime soon. So appreciate everyone listening on today's episode. I have to guess in just a second for segment three of our show. All right, we are back for segment three. And, Bern, I'll give you the floor here. How differently would the Suns team look and maybe how further along, if you believe that, would the Suns team be if you have Luka Doncic with them, Booker?
1: Well, that's the question. Uh, And I think, you know, we talked about it a little bit with Tatum. I have a little bit of a harder time believing that. Tatum um, would have developed in quite the same way because of the the insulation that he had for the first couple of years in Boston where he had Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, even Jalen Brown a year ahead of him. Plenty of talent where Tatum was, was really like a, a third option. Uh, so I don't know if the same thing would have happened here. I feel more confident that Doncic could have overcome obstacles because of the way that he plays basketball, which is so much of the creation, the way that the offense operates is all coming from him. So the, the added responsibility and pressure, I mean, that's, that's kind of second nature for, for a high level point guard, right? I mean, he's in, he's in Spain and everything's running through him. You know, why, why could he not have a similar impact with a, a number two like Booker and some big men around him, and I think that's that's really where you have to look. You can't quite look at it in a vacuum, same as you couldn't look at it in a vacuum with Tatum. And like we've both talked about since the summer of 2018, uh, their big man hole, which they admittedly had one. Tyson Chandler's like you know 36 or 37. He's clearly not a starting level center anymore. Clint Capella was on the market, and the Rockets stole him. I mean, he, he signed a very, very small contract. Obviously, they eventually trade him because he doesn't quite fit with what they want to do, but as a, as a rim roller, defensive anchor guy for this version of this Suns team, I think he makes a lot of sense. It's easy to say, oh, just sign this guy. Of course, there would have been negotiations and all that, but there was a path to getting your center of the future and getting your playmaker of the future, and the Suns got one. That is true. That's unarguable because in free agency, they opted to get Trevor Reza, who they had no need for overlapped with other talent on the roster and, and hated every second of his time in Phoenix. That was a mistake. They didn't use the opportunity of drafting Ayton to go sign the playmaker that they still needed. They instead signed a wing. And so the, those two decisions put together are, are just clearly a failure. And, and so I think if you take Luca, you have more flexibility to add other talent to your roster that fits with what you have and I just see it going better. I mean, I think if they if they do even maybe it's not Capella, but you just sign some sort of center. I don't know. I feel I think they're on the verge of a playoff appearance this year.
0: Yeah, I honestly feel like Rashawn Holmes, even in that scenario, if he wasn't the clue sure. role, he would feast in with Luca and Booker, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I mean the the Mavericks had freaking Dwight Powell. I mean, I'm not insulting Dwight Powell, but he he's not an all-star. And he was he was incredible with Luca. They had great chemistry. He's catching lobs left and right and they made it work. Like You don't need a, a superstar at center if you have the playmaker, and that, I think the Suns just didn't quite agree with that or didn't understand it at the time.
0: Yeah, and you also, I mean, you look at the Mavericks so far this year, I believe they finished in the 60 in the West, and they were well on their way to being a playoff team at this point. They're 40 and 27, 13 games above 500. As we all know, the Suns are 26, 39, 13 games below 500. It's so the exact opposite here. They had Kristaps Porzingis, of course, alongside Doncic this year, but do you feel like the Suns are more so in the position of, of the Mavericks where they're way above 500, they're easily in the playoffs at this point in year two of Donch and Booker? Or do you feel like maybe they're in the middle of where we were talking about where the Suns and the Mavericks are right now?
1: Sorry, say that again?
0: Yeah, just as far as the records go for this team, they were 14-27 last year. 40, 27 this year, the Mavericks were. You The Suns Mm -hmm. are 26-39. So they're both 13 games above 500 or below 500. Do you feel like maybe – you have Luca and Booker in year two. Do you think they'd be more so like the Mavericks this year? I think they're more so in the middle of where the Suns and Mavericks both are right now.
1: Yeah, I got you. I mean, I think to me, you. Ha- I mean, so I'm sure people are listening, thinking, okay, well, you're ignoring all the other differences that exist between Dallas and Phoenix, and and that's 100 percent fair. Like I think Rick Carlisle better coach than anybody that's coached the Suns in years, probably since like Mike D'Antoni. Right. I mean, Rick Carlisle is a great coach. They've, they, they have probably more than any other team in the league. They have a system that is so perfect for how Luca plays. They're heavy, high pick and roll, multiple ball handlers on the floor, just drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick, create good shots, corner threes, layups, lobs. And that's, that's perfect. And that's exactly how Luca is going to be best. And we've seen that play out. So, you know, it's, I don't quite think Luca going to, you know, this year, he might be a top five MVP candidate. I mean, he might get, he probably will get some votes for the MVP. Do I think he would be doing that this year? And, and the Suns would have the instant success Dallas had basically, you know, they could have potentially gotten to like home court advantage or something. If, if the season had gone on normally. Uh, no, I, I don't, think they would be there i would say like you were asking they're probably somewhere between where dallas was this year and where phoenix was this year maybe uh, around or just above 500 um, but that's good enough in the west for a, a you know seven eight seed this year and that's right where dallas was even though you know their wins are a little higher
0: i think one point i, I honestly glossed over before i was thinking about it. the suns at this point had eric Koschkov as their head coach and that relationship with Luka Doncic, I feel like Igor was still been the coach here. I just wonder now, you think about how Igor talked about Luka glowingly all the time, and how that system, he they won a title in, in the FIBA World Cup with each other, it, or Eurobasket, excuse me. It, it seems like to me that you have Luka in a system where, even even more so than Dallas, I know Rick Carr is a great coach, but you had his former European coach in your college on staff, so he would have had the system in place where Luca could have the easiest transition possible. maybe even Luca would have been a pseudo-coach, so to say, as far as like, hey, this is how we're gonna do things here. Igor and I, this is where we have success. And like it would have been really interesting to see how that would have went from that angle. Like Igor probably is still the son's coach, Brennan.
1: No, he I think he certainly is. I think his even if it's not Luca, you know, I know that's what we're talking about here, but it's the fact that that Igor didn't even have anybody to run the offense. the, the you know, Igor's offense is fairly similar conceptually to what Dallas does just in terms of having multiple ball handlers. And, you know, the jazz, the Igor Quinn Snyder system is a little bit more predicated on early motion. And we saw that really the, the ton, the Suns young players didn't really grasp that they didn't have the Suns didn't have any guard alongside Booker to make that system work. But especially if you add Luca to it, I think it works really well and, and probably pretty quickly because Booker, I think, the offense made a lot of sense for him. It just there was no one else to take the pressure off of him. So, yeah, I think Igor probably gets at least this past season, maybe if they you know if they are improving and they feel like he's not the coach to take them to the next step, maybe he does only last a couple of years, but I definitely don't think he gets fired after year one. It, it never will make sense. I mean, I think that's the lasting impression of this decision on the sun's part is that they hire this guy's coach, no one in the league. And no one that worked in the NBA, except for maybe Goran Dragic, knows and has a connection with Luka better than the Suns head coach. And still, they don't draft him. It's very bizarre. But let's wrap up by your, your guess. I mean, where do you think the Suns would be now uh, this season if, if they had drafted Luka and gone for maybe a cheaper, more cost-effective option at center and maybe everything else is pretty similar?
0: Yeah, I think it would have been, like you said, Brent, more in the middle as far as it probably right at the precipice where Memphis is right now. Maybe even above that, just because I feel like Luca's more of a transcendent talent than Ja is. I feel like they're probably in that 8-7 seed range, and they probably get bounced in the first round this year against the Clippers or the Lakers, but definitely a lot higher trajectory in my opinion, and maybe even short and long term. You could throw in, like you mentioned, Rashawn Holmes into that role, Clint Capella into that role, and I feel like it'd be almost the same. Maybe even less production, just because we know Aiden gets the ball more often down inside, but I think with Luca and Booker, it would have been interesting how that would have melded together. And if they did actually mold together in a perfect way, Brennan, that would have been a really lethal duo to watch. And I feel like a lot of NBA teams would have been envious of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to to see what Luca's done with not really much in the way of other guards. I mean, they have those guys, but they're they're not elite by any means. Still, he's made it work with Chris Stapps and Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba and, and more more so the, the floor spacing big men is how they've used Luca in Dallas. But I mean, you just imagine those two guys in one backcourt. I mean, they'd instantly have one of the better backcourts in the entire NBA, if not at least the best young backcourt in the NBA. So, I mean, it's definitely, it's the most blatant. What if, because not very much had to change, right? We talked about Jason Tatum. There's all these moving pieces. We're going to do more next week. I'm sure where there's six different things that would have had to change. This one is the Suns just have to draft a different guy. It's a, it's a huge huge what if a huge head scratcher and i'm all i'm rooting for aiton completely i think he has an incredibly bright future but like i said the nba is just uniquely different now than i think most people interpret it and so the 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 gap that aiton needs to clear to make the same level of impact that luka does is just immense
0: yeah, definitely agree with you there. And this is a really interesting, fun discussion. I agree with you, too, on Aiden. Like, he definitely showed strides in year two, where year three is going to be huge for him. But I think they're definitely on the right track. And it's going to be interesting to see how just how the what-if scenario goes of with Luca and Dallas and you have Aiden and Phoenix, how the, they're, all, they're going to be coinciding together, they're going to be touching together for the rest of their careers as far as what could have been. And we'll have to see how that all plays out. But I'm everyone sure listening in on our latest what-if episode here on Locked On Suns, diving into the Luca Doncic scenario with the Phoenix Suns. But we'll be back to you guys on Monday for next episode.